Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote. <laughs> Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. These words are a part of the service that we call the Sursum Corda. Like we do with many things in our service, we name it based on the beginning words that are found in Latin. Just as we say the Kyrie or Kyrie eleison, which is Latin for Lord have mercy. Or like as the Agnus Dei that we sing before communion, which means O Lamb of God. So we have that portion of the service called Sursum Corda, which translated means lift up your hearts. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is meet and right so to do. It is very meet, right, and our bounden duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto Thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, Everlasting God. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify Thy glorious name, evermore praising Thee and say. And then we launch into the Sanctus, which in Latin means holy. Of course, the understanding behind such words is that of ascension theology. This means that as Christ has ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, so every Christian during worship spiritually ascends in our heart and our mind to the heavenly realms where Christ is such that we, with all people of all times and all places, receive from his hand the heavenly food and drink from the very table of God. It's an essential view to understanding what and why we do what we do in worship. It's an essential view to understanding the unity that we have with every worshiper, past, present, even future. It's an essential view to understanding the theology of the sacrament. Now, I'm not preaching today on the liturgy, per se, but we cannot escape the fact that our liturgy does shape us, and I can't help but comment on that. You've heard me say in times past yet another Latin phrase, lex orandi, lex credendi, which roughly translated is the law of praying is the law of believing. Simply put, that means that the way we pray And what we pray influences and shapes the what and the how of that which we believe. And this is why we often say that there's three primary authorities in the church. We have not only the the overarching authority of the Holy Scriptures, but we also have the authority and teachings of the early undivided church, and also the authority of the liturgy, of our prayer book and its rubrics. Our worship and our liturgy literally forms and shapes our souls. And this is an underlying foundation and principle to the whole of Anglicanism. Actually, more than just Anglicanism. But Anglicanism seeks to have our lives conform to his image and likeness through the sacraments and through the use of the ancient forms and rituals of worship. You see, worship centers every person upon the nature of God upon the grace of God, and upon the work of God, such that that nature and that grace and that work of God will impact the whole life 
of the worshiper. Now, having spent the first four minutes saying all this, I almost feel like that I've started writing the beginnings of a paper for a liturgics class. But hopefully it's going to speak to some of you today. So now, let us put these remarks aside in our hearts and our minds and return again to the original starting point and transition to our celebration today. As I said, we say every week the words, therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. As the liturgy forms us, and as the liturgy expresses biblical truth to us, so we must embrace what those words teach. Today we celebrate what is called St. Michael and All Angels. It's September 29th, the designated feast day for this celebration, a celebration stemming back to the early centuries of the church. Apart from All Saints Day, when we remember loved ones that have departed in the faith, St. Michael and All Angels is pretty much the one single day in the year that focuses our attention on that invisible realm of heavenly hosts. Most of our feast days and our celebrations center around Jesus' life and those historic events like Christmas, Easter, his fasting, his temptations, his ascension, and so on. On other feast days, we celebrate human saints, like the 12 men that you see adorned around in our windows, the 12 apostles. And we might even have an extra day thrown in, like Oxford Martyrs Day, coming up in a couple of weeks on October 16th, when we celebrate Thomas Cramer, Nicholas Ridley, Hugh Latimer, fathers of the English Reformation. But angels? Archangels? I mean, that almost seems foreign to us except in the passing thoughts and comments about guardian angels and the like. Yet the scriptures and our liturgy on this particular day, and those words of the Sursum Corda that we sing every week, well, they do not let us forget them. From the very beginning, in the third chapter of Genesis, we first see what are called cherubim. After the fall, the tree of life is guarded by the cherub sentry with a flaming sword. The temple veil which separated the holy place from the inner holy of holies, patterning that of Eden and the Garden of Eden, was adorned with the image of the Edenic cherubim, along with the flaming altar of incense at the foot of the veil like the flaming sword. The Ark of the Covenant, which was the throne and the footstool of God in the presence of the Israelites, was adorned with the overshadowing guardian wings of the cherubim like as God's throne in heaven being surrounded by the worshiping angels. The great exodus of the Hebrews from Egypt follows on the heels of the angel of death that struck down all those children who were not protected by the blood of the Lamb. Jacob, the patriarch, when he had his vision that we call Jacob's ladder, saw angels ascending and descending from heaven to earth. Isaiah was privileged to have his heavenly vision in Isaiah chapter 6. And there the angelic uh, beings known as seraphim had six wings total. Three sets of two. With one set they covered their eyes. With another set they flew. And with another set they covered their feet. So as not to touch the portion of God's magnificent robe of glory. Revelation speaks of all the angels bowing down before God. St. John in that book of Revelation is given a tour of heaven, if you will, by an angel and forbids John from bowing down to him. The psalmist proclaimed, What is man that thou hast made him a little lower than the angels? 
The angel Gabriel is sent with the proclamation of God's message to Mary concerning the Incarnation. Angels are present to greet the women at the empty tomb on the day of Jesus' resurrection. Angels are present at the ascension of Christ on the Mount of Olives. Jesus says today in our Gospel, when speaking about the care we should have with children, that, quote, in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father in heaven. The passage appointed for our epistle from Revelation speaks of the great archangel Michael and the war with the dragon casting him down from heaven. Jesus teaches and says that angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. And of course, we sing the very songs of the angels. We sing holy, 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 as found in Isaiah chapter 6 and in Revelation. We sing glory to God in the highest, as the angels sang at the birth of Christ. Our creeds say that God is the creator of all things, visible and invisible. And the scriptures are full of references to what we call the invisible realm. Although we cannot see with our eyes the invisible, God has revealed to our hearts and our souls and our minds through his inspired writers of scripture that such exists and is true. There is a realm beyond our sight, yet present in our midst. Now, I cannot speak at great length concerning them, because neither I, nor you, nor anyone else has been given to know them apart from those revealed truths of Scripture, which is somewhat limited. But yet there is enough that God has revealed to us that we may embrace and understand. The angels and the archangels, whom God has created in their order, have one ministry and purpose. And that ministry is the accomplishing of the work and will and worship of God. Church tradition, which extends beyond that of the scriptures, usually mentions seven archangels by name. The three primary archangels being Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. And if you saw the picture that Deaconess Annette put in the midweek update this week in that email, you saw those three depicted. Of course, Gabriel and Michael are mentioned by name in the scriptures. Raphael, well, he's mentioned in the apocryphal book of Tobit. There's also Uriel, mentioned in the book of 2nd Esdras. And then there are others, all coming from extra-biblical or apocryphal sources. Regardless, though, of how many there are, and obviously there is a host of angels, their names do tell us something about them or at least of what the church and the scriptures teach us about them. Notice that every one of the names given to the archangels ends with the letters E-L. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel, Azrael, and so on. El, or Elohim, is the name for God used some 32 times in the 31 verses of the first chapter of Genesis in the creation account. Thus, it is appropriate that these angelic beings, created by Elohim when he created the spiritual inhabitants of heaven and then the things of the earth, that they would have their name and their identity tied to God. Michael, one who is like God. 
Gabriel, God is my strength. Raphael, God heals. Uriel, light of God. And the pattern continues. Their identity and their ministry is all centered about one thing. And that is God. And what we find in Scripture is that these archangels and all the angels do the following. They worship God. They serve God. And they minister for God. The Scriptures describe them as ready to do the Lord's bidding. Bowing in worship before God. Fighting the Lord's fight at His command within and on behalf of the visible realm. And proclaiming His message of truth in the times appointed. They are, as the Hebrew and the Greek words mean, messengers. They are messengers of God that transcend the visible and the invisible. And by that I mean we don't see the invisible realm. But they are given to see, to interact with, and to engage in and with the visible realm. They are only sometimes revealed to earthly sight like as Gabriel to Mary. Yet they are all the time engaged in the ministry of God to the world. There is a host beyond number at work that our eyes cannot see, but that our hearts of faith can behold. There is a host involved in God's ministry within the earth. As Christ says in the Garden of Gethsemane, don't you know that I could call down a legion of angels? And they all seek the will and the glory of the one that we worship and we serve. And God gives them charge over us. As one priest put it, Although the angels are created higher than we are, yet God has given them to be at service for us. Thus we read in the 91st Psalm, which Satan uses in his temptation of Jesus, he has given his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. That's my prayer every time I fly. I pray to the Lord as the one who directs His angels according to His will that He would direct and give His care over me and those flying with me to His angels and that they would bear us up and protect us. Their care is my personal reality. As one who nearly 30 years ago at the age of 17 hit the side of a mountain in a vehicle without airbags while not wearing a seatbelt and flipped his vehicle over onto its roof. The passenger side of the roof was squashed, yet there was a bubble, if you will, around the driver's side. And I walked away without so much as a scratch, except a cut on the bottom of my foot because I was barefoot, and I stepped on a piece of broken glass after I got out of the vehicle. God gives his angels care over us to accomplish his will, whatever that may be. My point being that while... Our eyes may be veiled from seeing angels and archangels. They are active in this world and in our lives, all on behalf of God. And so we join with them in their worship of God and in their service and their ministry to God. We rejoice with them in accomplishing the Lord's will and in bringing glory to Him. And we celebrate and give thanks to God for them. That's why we celebrate this day. And that it is, that's why we sing those words every week with great joy. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, 
we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. We pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stm.com. K-A-T-Y dot org.